this is Tuesday, November the 10th, 2020, and this is the Jackson Bleachers Podcast. Thank you for watching it or listening, whichever one. Um, we got a lot to get to today. It's been a busy weekend um, and a busy start to the week. Um, the main thing we're going to talk about today is Tennessee football, and it is time to pull the plug on Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, so we got a little bit, a lot to talk about there. Since the last time we talked, also Tennessee basketball has released the schedule. So that's something else we're going to talk about too. And then we'll, we'll wrap it up, as always, talking about the picks, uh, some of the picks that we have already for this weekend's college football slate. So let's get started uh, with with pulling the, pro, pulling the plug on, on Jeremy Pruitt. Um, I've held out as long as I could. I've tried to be positive and hopeful. Um, but it it's time it's time for a change on Rocky Top. Uh, Tennessee football is becoming unwatchable, and it's becoming clear that that Jeremy Pruitt's in way over his head. Uh, I, like I said, I've tried to be patient. I've, I've tried to stay calm, but Saturday night was my breaking point for me. Uh, not kicking that field goal in the in the fourth quarter, down by eleven points. That was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Pruitt, take away uh, Saturday, and Pruitt has already had some of the worst losses in Tennessee football history, and what makes it even more impressive is that he's had less chances to screw up than just about anybody ever has. His first season, uh, the the Vanderbilt loss in to end the year would be what, what I would call the bad loss, and it wasn't the fact that they lost to that Vanderbilt team. That Vanderbilt team was 6-6. Six and six. They ended up going to a bowl game, so it wasn't the worst Vanderbilt team you've ever seen. But it was how they lost it. So everybody kind of flashed back for a minute to the Saturday after Thanksgiving in 2018. 5-6 Tennessee traveled to Nashville to take on 5-6 and six Vanderbilt with a bowl bid on the line. Uh, that game was in the highly coveted 3 p.m. Central Time window on the SEC Network. And it was competing head-to-head with the Iron Bowl, which was on CBS. And obviously, if you couldn't tell, I was being sarcastic with a highly coveted 3 p.m. Central Time window on the SEC Network. That's that's the worst game of the week. The, the reason they do that is because typically CBS has the 2.30 game, and they pay to have the best game. So they kind of balance it to try to take as few of eyes from CBS as possible. They put the worst game, the, the worst SEC game of the week on at the same time on, over on the SEC network. Uh, so that's what Tennessee and Vanderbilt was on. It was on the please don't watch this game. And unfortunately, we all had to watch it. Uh, back then, Kyle Shermer was, was Vanderbilt's quarterback, and he had some success against Tennessee throughout his career, and he did that day was no exception. He just absolutely lit up Jeremy Pruitt's secondary on the way to ending Tennessee's season. And that was a winner-go-home game for both teams, um, and Pruitt's team just got run off the field by the Commodores. And as a whole, looking back on it, Tennessee fans then just chalked it up to having a young team with a first-time head coach, uh, Still, 5-7 and seven wasn't too bad. That was about what you're expecting. The bowl game would have been a bonus. And so, for the most part, Tennessee fans just moved on to looking forward to the next year of the Pruitt era. But year two came around, and it sure did get off to a good start, didn't it? Uh, the fan base had finally they, they'd successfully flushed the bitter memory of that bandy game, which obviously was the last time that Tennessee football had taken the field. Everybody had bought into the hype around year two, of, of the Pruitt area of the Pruitt era on Rocky Top, um, 
And remember going into that season, everybody was excited because Pruitt stole Jim Chaney from Georgia. And we were told that Jarrett Garantano looked like a completely different quarterback. Um, but then we got to opening day. Uh, that, that was Labor Day weekend 2019 will not be soon forgotten in the state of Tennessee. If you remember, it all got started with one of the boats in the Vol Navy just completely being engulfed in flames on the Tennessee River. And then it ended with a huge chunk of the fan base calling for the head coach's head. Um, and those of us who were fortunate enough to not be in attendance for that debacle were treated to Ryan Leaf's amazing college football analyst debut on ESPNU. Um, and every time he talked, I thought I was listening to a puzzled Will Ferrell trying to make heads or tails out of what the heck he was watching. Uh, so that was fun in and of itself, not even considering what, what the game was going on on the field. Uh, but in case you forgot, uh, the Vols paid Georgia State $950,000 to come to Neyland Stadium and get embarrassed. Uh, the Panthers didn't even have a football program until 2010, and they'd never even come close to beating the Power 5 school until that game. Uh, so, that's, like I said, first game of 2019. Go back to the 2018 season. Georgia State was 2-10, and 10 and they had lost their last seven to finish out the season. And, of course, they ended that losing skit on Rocky Top. Um, Pruitt's Tennessee Volunteers were the laughing stock of college football, but things had to turn around, right? So we'll fast forward to the next week. The BYU Cougars, led by Kalani Sataki and Zach Wilson, um, made the long trip over to Knoxville, take on the balls in primetime under the lights. And this was a highly anticipated game for Tennessee fans, and it was set up to be the perfect chance to exercise the demons of the previous week on national TV. Um, and, and really to just hit the reset button on the season. Uh, the ball scored on the opening drive. They scored a touchdown that was on the opening drive, but they missed opportunity after opportunity the rest of the night. JG had guys, just missed. Uh, they settled for four field goals. One of those, of course, was in overtime, and then they turned the ball over on downs twice. Even still with all of that going on, the Vols had the game won, and they just gift-wrapped it to BYU. Uh, ESPN's Football Power Index gave Tennessee a 99.9% chance of winning the game when BYU had that third and six from its own 20 with no timeouts, and it was about 17-ish seconds when the ball got snapped. Um, and what happened on that third and six? <clears throat> Jeremy Pruitt's secondary got gashed for a 64-yard 60 pass, and BYU set up the game-time field goal with four seconds left. Cougs went on to win that game in double overtime. So, obviously, it only got worse. The Vols continued to be the lacking stock in college football. Uh, the week before that, you had people calling for his head. Now, one week later, 14 games into his career, you had prominent members of the national media calling for Pruitt's head. And when, when does that ever happen? Like, when was the last time you heard the media calling for a coach's head after 14 games? It's always the opposite. It's always a coach is still underperforming in year five. The fan base is ready to let him go, and the media is carrying water for him. Uh, but, but that didn't happen here. You had members of the media saying it was time to, time to let him go. And then some of them even went a step further and suggested that Philip Fulmer go on and fire him right then and that Fulmer himself take the keys for the rest of the season. So that's where Tennessee was at, just 14 games into Jeremy Pruitt's career on, on Rocky Top and just two games into that second season. Um, so then you fast forward to this season. 
Tennessee's coming off the first loss of the season, and it was a game where they just got crushed in the second half in Athens. They're trying to bounce back at home against Kentucky, and even just casual college football fans know that the Vols have completely owned the Cats historically. And before this year, the last time Big Blue won in Knoxville was 1984. So UK didn't just beat the Vols in Neyland Stadium last month. They made the Vols quit. They made a team that has owned them for 30-plus years just lay down on its home field and take it. Um, a very average Kentucky team beat Jeremy Pruitt's team 34-7 to on Rocky Top. And I, I thought hell would freeze over before I had to watch something like that. Um, but but that that's what happened. That's where we were at. Um, so those – I've only laid out four games for you so far in a span of not even three years, two and a half years. Um, and of those, of those four games, two of those by themselves are fireable offenses. Obviously, Georgia State – last year and then Kentucky this year. So even take out the other two games, take out the Vanderbilt game, and take out the BYU game, and those two in itself, Georgia State and Kentucky, are enough to fire fire uh, Jeremy Pruitt. Obviously that hasn't happened yet. We're still here. Um, so those are just four games we looked at, two of which were fireable offenses on themselves. But it, it's long been known that Tennessee football coaches – or their, their measuring stick is how they do against their big three rivals, and that's obviously Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. Uh, so let's take a look at how old Skullcan's done against those three. His first year, 2018, I was in attendance for this game. Um, they lost to Florida 47-21 in Knoxville. A couple weeks later, lost to Georgia 38-12 in Athens. And then a couple weeks after that, they lost to Alabama 58-21 in Knoxville. 2019, this was last year, lost to Florida early in the season, 34-3 in Gainesville, lost to Georgia, 43-14 in Knoxville, and then uh, that Saturday, late Saturday night in October, the uh, the infamous Jarrett Garantano going rogue thing, um, lost to Alabama, 35-13 at Tuscaloosa. And in that Alabama game last year, Tua, uh, Tua Tugabaloa got hurt it was either very late first quarter or early second quarter. So that was without their stud on the field. You still got run off the field. Uh, then this year, obviously, you lost to Georgia 44-21 in Athens, and that was after having a, having the lead at halftime. And then a couple weeks ago, you lost to Alabama at home 48-17. Um, Florida, they're scheduled to play Florida on December 5th, so that one's TBD. I think we all know how that's going to go. Hopefully, Prude is not still the coach for that game. Um and really, we just read you all those games, all the rivalry games. There's not a whole lot more to add to that. Um, anyone, anyone who's who heard that or saw that, or they're they're smart enough to know that that's not changing anytime soon. Um, and obviously, I've tried to be pro Pruitt as long as I could. And and really, up until the last couple of weeks, I've been extremely pro Pruitt. And it's fair to ask what's made me flip so quick. Uh, like a couple of weeks ago. That Kentucky massacre was the first time I thought Pruitt was in over his head. Um, it wasn't just the blowout loss to, to little brother, but it was the fact that his team quit and that he had no plan at all with his quarterbacks. He benched JG, gave JT Shrout one possession, then went back to Garantano, and then completely skipped over Brian Maurer and finished the game with Harrison Bailey. Then the next game, which was the Alabama game, Brian Maurer was the number two quarterback after just being completely skipped over the week before against Kentucky. Um, 
And then that Alabama game, that was back-to-back weeks on our home field. The Alabama game had me livid too. Never for one second did Jeremy Pruitt or Jim Chaney have any intention of winning that game. Uh, that Their entire goal was to just not get blown out. Um, and it was painfully obvious by their play calling throughout the day. And then after, if that wasn't enough, after getting boat raced by your biggest rival who you haven't beaten in 14 years, or it's been 14 losses in a row, so I think that's 15 years now that you haven't beat them, Pruitt had the audacity in the post-game press conference to say that it may not show up on the scoreboard, but the gap between Tennessee and Alabama is closing. Uh, that's something Butch Jones would say, and we, we need to get Butch Jones 2.0 out of this locker room before it's too late. So I'm – I'm 13 minutes into this thing so far, and I haven't even started to talk about the Arkansas game, um, and specifically the third quarter and fourth quarter Saturday night, and and that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Um, The Vols were up 13-0 at the half in Fayetteville, uh, but obviously the Razorbacks put up 24 unanswered, and believe it or not, Every bit of that was in the third quarter. They didn't score in the fourth quarter. They put up 24 unanswered in the third quarter with Felipe Franks. Yes, that Felipe Franks, the the same Florida quarterback who beat us on a Hail Mary in 2017. He carved up Jeremy Pruitt's defense in the second half, and he started by doing what every other team has done this year, just nickel and diamond us um, with the slants, just – obliterating our linebackers with the slants, and then they finished with a couple of bombs downfield. Um, that's been the formula all year. Just Tennessee can't stop the slants, so just, just keep throwing slants and you'll score every time, and that's what Felipe Franks did. Um, and then as if his defense wasn't – that third-quarter defense from Pruitt wasn't bad enough to get Tennessee fans wound up, he committed coaching malpractice by not kicking a field goal down by 11 in the fourth quarter. I mean, a second grader could tell you that 11 points minus 3 points equals 8 points. 8 points is the max you can score in a possession. 8 points means if you're only down by 8, you're down by one possession. And then not to mention, Pruitt has one of the most reliable kickers in the country at his disposal, and then he's already drilled two kicks from long range during that first half. Um, On top of all of that, you had a true freshman quarterback in the game who was not allowed to even throw a pass until that fourth down with the game on the line. Um, that's just coaching malpractice. There's no excuse for there, – there's literally no excuse for what that decision. I don't care – where's your chart? Everybody's got a chart. Read your freaking chart. Uh, that was just inexcusable, and I don't think I'm ever going to be able to forgive that especially when you look on toward, even later in the game. Tennessee had – they were driving. They, they didn't end up scoring, but they were driving. And that drive, instead of being we needed – we got 20 seconds left, we got to score now and kick an onside kick and kick a field goal, it would have just be score now, get the two-point conversion, let's go to overtime. Um, so, yeah, I don't think – I don't think he can recover from that decision. It was – and this is year three. It's not like it was it was his first game as a head coach or his first SEC game. This is year three. He's got he, – you shouldn't even – a middle school coach doesn't make that decision. Neither should somebody who's slated to make $4.2 million a year make that decision in year three. So I, I thought um, – I thought it would take something disastrous, and I think Saturday – I think Saturday is it's finally something disastrous. So we're in the second week of November, and we're in an all-too-familiar place. 
Um, the Tennessee football program is crashing and burning, and the majority of the fan base is ready to pull the plug and give the keys to someone else. And I'm finally right there with everybody else wanting to send Pruitt packing. But there was a reason. The reason that, that uh, had me hold out for so long before I would before I would agree with that or even or even let myself think it is because it's real simple. It's just money. Um, I thought it would take something disastrous for, to fire Pruitt before the end of next season, just for strictly for financial reasons. Uh, but this slow death by a thousand paper cuts has finally turned into something disastrous. Um, I'm sure you haven't forgotten, but Tennessee's still on the hook for Nick Saban's favorite coffee grabber until February. Uh, they also did something incredibly stupid, but yet so totally predictable, and that was give Pruitt a raise and extension right before this season when there was literally nobody trying to steal him away from Knoxville. That senseless raise and extension means UT is now on the hook for his $4.2 million contract. That's an annual contract, by the way. $4.2 million contract through January of 26, 2026. Um, and right now he's not quite making the $4.2 million. That $4.2 million doesn't kick in until t- 2022. So you still have you're on he's on your books till 2026 and from the last 4 years of that contract 4.2 million dollars a year so he's got that buyout is insane especially like I said a second ago when you factor in that you're still paying Butch Jones although it's just a couple more months now but you still got Butch Jones on your payroll through through February of 2021 um, and obviously covid is hurting everybody every athletic department around the country and losing 75% of the gate at all your home games, plus losing two or three total home games where you can't even let uh, 25,000 people in, um, that's killing the athletic department. It's led to a ton of uh, just most people, honestly, in the Tennessee athletic department taking temporary pay cuts. Um, and what has Pruitt done to help that financial financial situation? Well, he went out and pissed away $1.3 million by throwing a temper tantrum after the Kentucky game and firing his defensive line coach. So that's what he did, just just lit $1.3 million on fire. Um, put all that together, and it's not wide, not hard to see why it would take that disaster of epic proportions to run the bald man out of town before next November. Um, but Tennessee's at a point financially now where because of the pandemic – they really need fan excitement for next year's football season. Assuming that Neyland Stadium will be allowed to open at full capacity next season, the athletic department will want to make every dime possible to try to make up a chunk of the money lost from this year, um, and they'll need 102,455 butts in, in the seats for every game next season. Uh, but an apathetic fan base, even one as loyal as Tennessee's, is not going to fill up a 100,000-plus seat stadium next, next season unless something happens unless something drastic happens, uh, because people are fed up. They're sick of it. I know it's just year three, but when, when you know, you know, when it's time to pull the plug, and the reason you're in these financial situations to where it makes it harder to do that is leadership being stupid. It's all your own fault. Now, you dug, you made your bed, and now you're going to lie in it. Um, you got to fix this. The athletic department's got to fix this. And with all the financial hardships, throw that away for a second. You're in Tennessee is in one of those rare situations where everything could line up perfectly, uh, but the powers in Knoxville cannot be afraid to pull the trigger. Uh, Tennessee has to go to Lynchburg and come back with Hugh Freeze. 
The balls are maxed out on failed up-and-coming coaches, and it's past time to go get someone you know for sure can get Tennessee back to the top. You can't afford to not do that at this point. And Hugh Freeze has won big everywhere he's been. Um, he was a great high school girls basketball coach in the Memphis area. He was great here in Jackson at Lambeth. He was great at Arkansas State. He was great at Ole Miss. And now he has Liberty in the top 25 and has two road wins against ACC teams this season. He's proven he can beat Nick Saban. Heck, he was a fluke play away from Arkansas um, in that Arkansas game from winning the SEC West a few years ago. And he has ties in Memphis and Jackson from, all, from his previous stops. It could be a redemption story so perfect that if Hollywood made it made it into a movie, nobody would believe it. A man who had it all and lost it took a football program that had it all and lost it back to the promised land after two-plus decades of, of wandering around in the wilderness. Um, you know he wants another crack at an SEC job, and in Tennessee they could swoop in and get him with little to no competition. Hopefully Auburn wins a couple more games to keep Gus Malzahn's job safe for one more year, um, and that would leave Vandy and South Carolina as the two most likely SEC teams with the job opening at the end of the season. And even with the lack of recent success, Tennessee's still one of the strongest brands in college football um, and no doubt has a higher long-term ceiling than South Carolina or Vanderbilt. Um, so don't screw this up, Tennessee. This is your one chance to get this thing turned around in a hurry. Um you got to go get Hugh Freeze, and you need to go get him now. Just end this mis- this cycle of misery. Um, you have it. You have the chance. Just don't screw it up. Um, so, as you can see, I'm I'm done with Pruitt. I'm sick of him. And it you, there's one guy that you know for sure can go get the job done. Um, in the next state over in Lynchburg, Virginia, go get him. Bring him home. Let's end this crap forever. Um, so that that's where I am with Tennessee football. Uh, the balls are scheduled this week to host Texas A&M at 2:30, uh, but apparently the Aggies have been hit pretty hard by COVID. They've had a couple of positive tests and a lot of contact tracing has people in quarantine. Um, so as of right now, that game's still on, but that it's very much up in the air as to whether they're actually going to play. And actually, right before I started recording this, I saw that same thing. Auburn's having to pause activities, and Auburn is Tennessee's opponent the following week. Uh, so. The next two weeks, it, it's Tennessee's games the next two weeks are very much up in the air, which is a good thing if they don't play in that we don't have to watch them get smacked. Uh, it's a bad thing, though, in, in terms of that's two more weeks that Jeremy Pruitt's not going to get beat, uh, which obviously Tennessee takes the field. I want them to win. I'm not going to cheer against them. But – not playing it against Auburn and Tech, and really tech, not playing against Texas A&M. If you avoid getting hammered by Texas A&M, that only helps Pruitt be able to keep his job for another year. And if they do play, um, we don't know if Jarrett Garantano is healthy enough to play. No, yesterday they said he was day to day, and I would I would think if I had to guess right now, I would say he's playing. But obviously, I don't have any kind of inside medical information with with Tennessee football, but. If if he doesn't play, you got to start Harrison Bailey. I think I think Saturday night kind of proved that he is next in line. That you're not gonna. I don't think they're going back to Mauer, and I know they're not going back to Shroud because heck, Shroud didn't even travel to Fayetteville. So I think if if uh, Garantano is is hurt and not able to play, I think we'll see Harrison Bailey. And if that is the case, if they do have to play Harrison Bailey, 
could Pruitt kind of back and back door into some accidentally fall into some success here? Because um, we saw Josh Dobbs was he was good enough to to hide a bunch of Butch Jones shortcomings. Really, you had him, and then you had Derek Barnett on the defensive side of the ball. What happened if Harrison Bailey is as good as we all hope he is and think he's going to be? Could could that kind of hide some of Jeremy Pruitt's uh, some of his deficiencies? Did he kind of accidentally find his starting quarterback kind of like a couple of years ago uh, for those of you who keep up with the Memphis Grizzlies on um, during the home opener ten, uh, not Tennessee the Grizzlies were, were playing the Atlanta Hawks on the home opener I think it was Jaron Jackson Jr.'s rookie year um, well that was just two years ago but with the start and stop this year it feels like longer than that um, Jermichael Green got hurt for the Grizzlies he'd been their starting power forward for a long time or since really since Zach Randolph had, had left. Um, he, he was their starting power forward, and then he got hurt in that first game, and Jaron Jackson had to come in and take over, and and you kind of – Fisdale kind of lucked into some success there because obviously Jaron is better than Jermichael and he never looked back. And I'm kind of wondering if, if Pruitt may find the same kind of accidental success with playing Harrison Bailey. Um, who knows? They may not even play the game. Um, and obviously, if this game get, gets canceled, it's more likely that, that JG's – the longer they wait between games, the more likely it is JG will be ready to go. Um, it was just a thought I had. Um, but in all reality, I, I think Pruitt's a dead man walking. It would take a miracle at this point, um, not necessarily for him to keep his job next year, um, but for the fan base – for him to win the fan base back, it, it's going to take a lot. And – Hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping that they don't screw around and mess this up. I still feel like they're not going to fire Pruitt until the end of next year. Um, but maybe maybe things are different. I'm just fingers crossed, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Well, enough of the de- depression. Um, let's move on to something a little bit more exciting, and that would be Tennessee basketball. Because I saw yesterday the, the preseason AP poll came out, their preseason number 12. I've been telling you that I think they're going to be awesome and that this could be the best basketball team in, in school history. And I'm not – I don't think I'm I'm uh, being overdramatic or anything like that or trying to oversell it. I, I just think they're that good. Um, so w- I'm going to eventually – I'm not going to get too deep into basketball. I know last time I did a little bit of a preview – this time I'm just going to go over the, the schedule that's been released, and then I'm probably next week at some point, maybe the week after that, um, I'm going to do it just a actual, just a full blown podcast or video just on Tennessee basketball to preview the season. So real quick, the season now is going to start on Wednesday, November 25th, with the Volunteer Classic. Charlotte and VCU are going to come to Knoxville, and they're all three going to play each other. On that Wednesday, it's going to be Tennessee and uh, Charlotte. That time is yet to be determined. And then on Friday, it's going to be Tennessee and VCU. Um, you got a couple of non-conference schedules, a whole lot smaller now. I know they're still looking at playing Gonzaga in Indianapolis, although that's not official yet. Uh, but that very much is, is at least rumored to – to still happen. The big one that was canceled was the Tennessee. Tennessee and Memphis were supposed to meet in Nashville, um, and obviously that's not going to happen anymore, so that's disappointing. And with the way Penny Hardaway and, and Rick Barnes think of each other, who knows when we'll ever get to see those two meet again, and that kind of sucks. 
No, but so you have the volunteer classic to open the season. We know we're going to play Gonzaga in Indianapolis. Not exactly sure on a date on that one just yet. Uh, but then the rest of the non-conference schedule, the only one really noteworthy, you play Cincinnati at home. Because remember, Tennessee lost at Cincinnati last year. That was a home and home. They play Cincinnati at home in Knoxville this year, um, December the 12th, and that's Saturday. And then you have 15th, 19th, and 22nd. You got home games, non-conference. That's Appalachian State, Tennessee Tech, and then South Carolina Upstate. Then uh, conference season starts on December 30th. That's a Wednesday night, and the uh, the SEC is going to keep their typical Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday format uh, to where everybody you you shouldn't play on it Sunday. Definitely not playing on a Monday, Thursday, or Friday, other than once once conference play starts that year. So they open in in uh, Columbia against Conzo and Missouri on December the 30th. Then the first conference home game is that Saturday, which is January the 2nd against Alabama. Alabama, I think, is going to be really good this year. And then they t- they followed that up with a Wednesday night home game against Arkansas, who also is going to be very good this year. If you forgot, they have Musselman, uh, the coach that, that got a couple of NBA caliber players to Nevada and had uh, the Wolfpack as a NCAA tournament team <clears throat> and really the power of the Mountain West a few years ago. He's now at Arkansas, and he's had a, a full offseason this time. Um, and then so the games that kind of matter to Tennessee, to West Tennesseans, you play – you do play Mississippi State, but it is only once, and it's in Knoxville. Uh, so no quick trip to start Bull this year. Uh, the game at Ole Miss, you do have one in Oxford this year. The bad news is it's on a Tuesday, February the 2nd. I was really hoping that would be a Saturday. Uh, but that could, that's still – maybe you could leave work a little bit early, still get there. Hopefully that's a 6 o'clock game. Um, if it is, you can still be home by 1030. Um, so that one, and then they play in Nashville against Vanderbilt on February the 24th. That's also a Wednesday. Uh, so not a real friendly schedule for West Tennesseans trying to catch a quick uh, Tennessee road game. But then again, if you got to pick a year for that to happen, it's going to be this year because who knows who's going to allow fans and then the ones that do. There's not going to be many. Um, but so then just the highlight games that I have, um, obviously the one we've known about for a while, the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Tennessee's going to host Kansas on Saturday, January the 30th. Um, you play Florida for the first time on January the 19th. Like I said a minute ago, Arkansas and Alabama are both going to be much improved. Um, at Kentucky, they play in Rupp. That one's going to be a Saturday, February 6th. Um, and then you follow that up with the the next game is at home against Florida on Wednesday, February 10th. And then the next one, this three-game this three game stretch right here may decide who wins the SEC. Um, you have the next one you got at Kentucky versus Florida and then at LSU. Uh, so that's a tough little three-game stretch there in early part of February. Um, and then you play Kentucky at home on February 20th. Your last road game is a Saturday, February 27th at Auburn. So there you, that's another big one there. You play Bruce Pearl. You wrap up the season on Wednesday, March the 3rd against Georgia. And they're leaving that whole next week open before starting the SEC tournament to make up any games that were canceled before COVID. Uh, so that's kind of – that's the Tennessee basketball schedule. The non-conference schedule is the one that took a hit this year. We should still get the uh, Gonzaga game, but we lost the Memphis game. So that one, that one's a little bit frustrating. Um, so that, that's Tennessee basketball. 
real quick, we're going to end this um, by going over some of the, the picks, the college football picks that I have already made for this weekend. Let's see. We did very good last week. <clears throat> Let's try to keep that going this week. Well, I'm trying to get my – there we go. Sorry, I had to get my picks pulled up. Uh, so the first game I picked – and it's actually already been canceled. I had two games that were already canceled. Uh, the first one was Auburn minus 13 and a half at Mississippi State. That game has been postponed due to COVID, so got the money back on that one. And I also had uh, Wyoming. I don't remember who they're playing, but they were at home, and they were three-and-a-half-point favorites. I had them as well. That game also got canceled. Um, so I kind of got these in order right now on when they're going to happen. The 11 a.m. game, uh, I like Coastal Carolina minus 10 at Troy. I got that one yesterday. Um, I, I didn't – I was trying to think – I think that line's gone up a little bit. I can check here in just a second. But I, when I got it, it was Coastal Carolina minus 10. I also have Southern Miss at Western Kentucky under 49-and-a-half. If you remember, Western Kentucky is being – their coach is Tennessee's old uh, – Offensive coordinator Tyson Helton, and he's an idiot. So I got the under in that game. Um, the night games, I have Nevada minus 13 and a half at New Mexico. And then to round it off, late night game, I have Washington minus 12 and a half against Oregon State. I watched Oregon State Saturday night. They got a new uh, new quarterback, their new coach. They're terrible. Their defense sucks. Um, Washington should kill them. That's the late game Saturday night. And I'm seriously considering tonight, haven't done it yet, two games. I'm seriously considering, I know it's a huge number, but Akron, um, I mean, Ohio minus 27 and a half against Akron. Akron sucks. They're the worst team in college football. Last year it was like 58 to 3. Ohio, I don't trust Frank Solich running, switch, just pick a quarterback, dude. You don't have to switch between two quarterbacks. Um, so I, that's the only thing holding me back from pulling the trigger on Ohio is I hate the way he uses his quarterbacks. Um, the other one I'm looking at, seriously considering Kent State minus 20 and a half on the road in Bowling Green because Bowling Green, they may be the second worst team in college football. They're pretty terrible. Um, so I'm not in love with Ohio or Kent State. Um, it's more of a definite fate of Akron and Bowling Green. Again, I haven't decided if I'm going to do that yet or not. Um if I do, obviously, though, I've already got the picks for this week posted. Um, JacksonBleachers.com, scroll down to college football picks week 11, and I'll put it out on the, the Twitter account, too. Obviously, like any other game I make, any other pick I make for the rest of the week, I will do that as well. Um, so thank you for listening or watching. Um, hopefully Tennessee hires a new football coach. Don't hold your breath, but keep your fingers pro crossed. Um, have a good week, and go Vols.